Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ah, oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk, now on its new day and time slot. Welcome to Wine Talk, now on its new day and time slot. Today, Thursday, November 12th, at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from sunny Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I will take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stewthewineguru.com. Just a few updates about Wine Talk before we head into the show. Well, it's official. Wine Talk has gone international. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. I now have listeners listening in Europe and Australia. Welcome everyone listening in those countries. It's amazing the power of the Internet. I'd like to call this more of the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now let's talk wine. We've got a fantastic show for you tonight. I have a very special guest for you who will be on the show shortly. He is a Napa Valley legend, winemaker Tom Eddy of Tom Eddy Wines. We will be discussing his wines, the industry, taking your calls, and basically anything else that Tom wants to talk about. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Later in the show, we will be discussing the number one question that I get emailed, which is aerators, taste enhancer or gimmick. So get ready on the phone, get your fingers on the keyboard, and weigh in on that one. We'll talk about about some history updates in my segment called Heard It Through the Grapevine. After that, I will give you my review of great value-priced wines. Today's wine is from Australia at under $20, so you'll want to stick around for that. I will make some red and white wine recommendations in my segment, Stew's Pick of the Week. Also, I will mention a few wine events going on around the country. So if you want a good wine festival to go to, you want to hear my suggestion. Up first, we're going to have some questions that I'm taking from some of the, a, ver- a variety of 
people that have chimed in and called in before. This one is about, uh, let's see, Australian wine. Uh, today's choice for great value price wines is Australian 2007 Heartland Shiraz from Barossa Valley. Now, Wine Spectre gave it 88 points, and I rated a solid 91 points. This wine is ripe and rich. It has black cherry and blackberry flavors, a little smoke, and some coffee and cola notes with a nice long finish and some fine tannins. I say you drink this now through 2014. On to Stu's pick of the week. Every week I will be choosing a red and white wine that I recommend for the weekend or any occasion. This week's red is a 2007 Moritzen Zinfandel Dry Creek Valley. Wine Spectator gave it 92 points. And now I agree on that. It's a real nice, rich Zinfandel with huckleberry and smoky licorice aromas. It has ripe, layered, and balanced wild berry and sage pepper flavors. I'd say drink this now through 2014, and the average price you should be able to find this for is about $16. My white wine pick of the week is a 2007 Chateau Saint-Michel Riesling from Columbia Valley, the Indian Wells area. It's bright and tangy. This is lightly sweet, but balanced with good acidity. You get flavors of creamy pear and floral. My suggestion is to drink this now through 2011. Wine Spectator gave it 89 points. I give it a solid 91 points. And you should be able to find this wine for about $18. Let's go on to my Heard It Through the Grapevine industry update. This article is from New York Times, and it addresses the moderate consumption of wine. The article is called Health Benefit, How About Pleasure? It's by Eric Asimov. Here's an excerpt. Science Times has a fascinating article that questions the conventional wisdom that moderate consumption of alcoholic beverages is good for the health. Nobody in the article disputes the possibility that moderate drinking can be beneficial. Those interviewed simply make the compelling argument that too many variables exist in the research to conclude that moderate wine consumption is the reason for any health, healthful findings. Obviously, the wine industry is hugely vested in the idea that a glass of wine a day is good for the health. Wine Spectator regularly highlights studies that depict wine as healthy beverage. Its, its website currently includes an article suggesting that a glass or two of wine a day may prevent gallstones. Indeed, the tremendous growth of American red wine consumption in the 1990s was largely due to the reports of French, the French paradox, the idea that the French, with a diet relatively high in fat, have a lower incidence of heart disease than Americans. And the paradox held that consumption of red wine may be what reduces heart disease in France. Okay, let's move on to the man of the day. This is the man of the day, the man who we can call probably Mr. Cabernet, Mr. Tom Eddy. I'm going to give you just out there that need a little background on him. Let me let you know that Tom is a Napa Valley legend. He's a winemaker. Uh, he's been on before 
to discuss wines, and now we're going to talk with him right now. So let me bring him on. Tom, you there? You there, Tom? Let's see if we can... Hear me? I can hear you now. Good. Wonderful. Well, welcome, everybody. I've got Tom Eddy on here. Tom, uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. That's good. I'm ready for them. Excellent. Um, so what, I guess the first question I really want to go to is uh, you started out in the, in the wine trade in the early 70s. That was you know, in the, when California was burgeoning uh, in, in the wine industry. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for starting out then. Well, you know, it was a really special time and a very unique time because the industry was really hadn't really taken off until that period when Robert Mondavi started in 66. And there was a program at UC Davis for a four-year winemaking degree, and very few people were um, enrolled in that program. In fact, I think there was a time when there were more professors than there were students and I was very fortunate to come into that period in the early 70s when, for whatever reason, wine was taking off. There was a modicum of popularity with becoming a winemaker. And I was in the one of the first classes at Davis uh, that was quite large. There was 40 of us. And today, wow. there must be 35-plus guys that you know that your audience knows that are winemakers at key wineries. I mean, my my laboratory partners uh, in those days were Tim and Davi and wow. uh, Mike Martini and Eric Wenty, of all people. Interesting. And, uh, when those guys, uh, when we all graduated, uh, they just went home. I had to find a job. So <laughs> it was amazing, amazing time, amazing class. Uh, there's been a couple nice articles written about the, that class in the early 70s and and uh, went on to wineries that you know, Ed Sobraja at Behringer and uh, Absolutely. Uh, Craig Williams at, at Phelps and, you know, uh, a, a really good group of guys that are that are still around and still making great wines. But now you started I, out, you mentioned, I, I was going to ask, you mentioned uh, Wenthe and all that. You started out actually with Christian Brothers and uh, Soprain and, and Wenthe as well, did you not? That's right. I mean, Wenty was a really right out of school, was an internship, but then uh, later on uh, I worked for Inglenook uh, and uh, Christian Brothers and Souverain, you know, some bigger wineries. I call that my uh, corporate time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was during that period that uh, I was really fortunate to be introduced to some incredible vineyards in Napa Valley. So, um, it, you know, it was it was a nice a blessing, and um, uh, I like to say that I went from large to small, from south to north, and uh, right. eventually ended up in Napa Valley. Now, we'll we'll skip a little forward for everyone, and and just kind of bring them into uh, let's see, around the around late eighties, around eighty nine or so, you started your own wine company, and I know that you came out with an incredible uh, cab around ninety one or so. That was the first cab, I think, right? That was the first. First year uh, with my own name on the label, Tom Eddy, and we we did right. 200 cases, 
and, and okay. the, con- the concept was to to find really small mountain hillside vineyards, thin soils, low yielding grapes, and make 100% Cabernet and and do things you know philosophically from a winemaking perspective a little bit unusual um, and really make uh, rich wines that that had tremendous aging potential. Right and now, why Cab? Why Cab? Well, because you know, first of all, um, by this time I'm I'm living in Napa Valley uh, with my wife Carrie, and we we really felt that of all the places in the world, maybe with the exception of Bordeaux, that we lived in a in an area that made the best Cabernet, and this is what it's not, it's not a uh, really a, a coincidence. I mean. The, the soils and the climate here are conducive to make great Cabernet. We see it day in and day out. And so it was a natural thing. We love the area. I mean, if you've been to Napa Valley, you know how beautiful it is. What it a is grand place wonderful. to spend the rest of your life. And a double bonus, uh, make Cabernet. So, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and I was, you know, with this great opportunity with, with these other wineries, I discovered some incredible vineyards. I mean, one year, I think in the mid-'80s, I must have made 100 different lots of Cabernet from 100 different vineyards. And, of course, I remembered who those people were, and I went back to them when I was on my own and said, look, you know, sure. I, I want to buy this fruit. This is incredible. We'll make great wine. Yes. So uh, that's really, uh, uh, you know, Cabernet. I mean, if we were... If we were going to make just Pinot Noir, you know, I'd want to be in Santa Barbara, Oregon, or or Burgundy, right? Um, and and so it's it's kind of a it's, it's the right fit, really. Well, I have to tell you, being both uh, a uh, consumer and uh, and a reviewer and a wine critic per se, you definitely have. Uh, we're very happy. Let's just say that you that you decided to make Cabernet because uh, it's it's just fantastic. Um, moving forward a little bit into the 21st century, now, now you have many different varietals of which you work with different growers from different mm-hmm. regions. I know uh, Monk's Gate in Willamette Valley for your Pinot Noir, and uh, Cane's, Cane Vineyards in New Zealand for Tens for the Sauvignon Blanc. Right. Mm-hmm. How, how did that come about? Well, you know, it was real easy. Uh, when, initially, when we we made our first Sauvignon Blanc under under our family name um, about four or five years ago, and it, and it came about because uh, it was about 4.30 on a hot summer July day, and uh, I said to my wife, I said, you know, uh, I've really got to have a cold glass of Sauvignon Blanc, and she looked at me, and she said, well, you're a winemaker, make one. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, up to that time, you know, sure. you made any white wines. I said, well, listen, if I'm going to make Avenue Blanc because I was kind of a I uh, wasn't into Chardonnay at the time and I said look want to make Sauvignon Blanc where would we go to make a truly great uh, crisp Sauvignon Blanc flavors that I like in New Zealand right she said, well of course what, how can you do that I said well we'll we'll go over so we did and uh, the people in New Zealand are wonderful and we made some great connections uh, uh, I invited uh, Kim Crawford over for dinner and said Kim you know give me a few tips on who to contact and we found this wonderful single vineyard over there in Blenheim off of Cloudy Bay and yes. uh found a wonderful chap who uh a Kiwi who who uh, would work with me and so we started the program. I'm actually the only 
California winemaker who's a licensed New Zealand wine grower. That's incredible. It, it's a, it's a great it's been a great ride, great experience. It's a wonderful wine, and it is. Uh, we're going to keep it small. Excellent. That's, yeah. No, that's you know that's the thing about it. It's, it's kind of because you know, um, I mean, Cloudy Bay obviously um, produces a lot of uh, great. Uh, Sauvignon Blancs. Of course, Kim Crawford it makes, um, I think, the only one to ever get like a 91 rating uh, right. from West Wine Spectator. But I, I have to say that, uh, you know, it was it's kind of nice to, to give the credit to um, the other wine regions to produce the wines that you want. You know, as, you know I mean, you know, anyone, of course, can say, okay, I'm going to now try to produce a Pinot Noir in Napa, and of course, there's plenty of good Napa Valley Pinot Noirs, but the idea of to make it kind of like a uh, a commune approach, if you will, or where, where, or where you get uh, you get to the best people who make the best and and work with them, it's a, it's a great approach, you know. Right. Kind of, I think it's more of a throwback to it's the '70s, and, and so where everybody kind of got together, the growers got together and and uh, and shared their their uh, their knowledge yep. as well. No, yeah, so it's it's great. It's really nice to hear that. So, let me ask, what what do you think now of the wine industry today? You know, and the explosion of wine producers cropping you know cropping up everywhere. What what is your feelings on that? Well, I mean, it's a it's a first of all, uh, it's a wonderful thing, um, mm-hmm. and and especially for the consumer, because when we think about the seventies, let's say early seventies, and when there there was a there was a quantum shift there. There was only 100 plus wineries in, in California, and I, I prided myself at one point when I was in college is, is knowing the name of every winemaker and the name of every principal in every winery in California. Well, today right. I can't keep track of the new Napa properties that, that are five <laughs> miles away. It's unbelievable. Right. So we have yeah. probably just in Napa Valley alone we have almost 800 wineries. And probably three to four thousand in California. So it's amazing. The good news for for the consumer is there's so many wonderful wines uh, and such such uh, variability styles and methodologies of winemaking and price points and packaging. And it's just it's amazing. And of course, the bad news for 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 me is that. You know, I I need to compete with all these guys um, on the shelf, uh, you know, and and restaurant wine lists and so forth. But that's okay because um, it's a real, it's it's a grand experience. It's a grand ride. uh, Wonderful wines, and 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 I'm learning every day. I mean, every day I make mistakes. Every day I learn more and more. Um, The more every day I learn, I I mean, I, I figure out how much I really don't know and. The amount of of uh, exchange of communication, not just um, in wine making and wine technology, but in wine marketing and, and ideas. And now with the internet, you know, we can we really feel like our neighbors are are all over in South Africa, New Zealand, France. Uh, we can talk to them on a regular basis and exchange things. And it's just an exciting time for the wine business. It's great how that works that way. In fact, you and I discussed this prior to the show and all. I was just mentioning in regards to Napa Valley, and you had said earlier about how you know wonderful and beautiful it is. And in my travels through there, I had the you know I had gone to a couple of different wineries. 
um, well, you know, Behringer and all that. And in the tastings that I had done, you know, I, I'm always very inquisitive. Natu- naturally, it works well for having a radio show. But I had asked, um, you know, a couple of different people in a variety of different levels of working at the winery and the vineyards. So, you know, like, what is your favorite wine? And as we had discussed, you know, instead of them just being kind of egocentric to their own, uh, the, the, the wine, that, the vineyard that they work for, people were talking about a variety of different wine producers and saying, oh, did you ever have a chance to try this? And, I, you know, what I think is nice about that is, unlike many other industries where people are very highly competitive and are quick not to give their opinion about maybe their uh, competition, it's completely the opposite yeah. in Napa Valley. And, and, and it's, well, it's and, a really nice thing. And I think in California, too, I mean, it's, uh, I hear it all the time in my travels and business travels. Uh, before I put my wine hat on, I have people from other industries who I meet for the first time, whether it's you know rocket science or publishing or uh, r- manufacturer of rubber tires. These people are very competitive and, and they're very secretive, and they are always surprised like you say, it's the exchange of information within the wine industry. Um, right. If someone, if a winemaker called me today and said, you know, gee, I have this problem with this yeast. Uh, do you have any ideas? I don't know what to do. Uh, I'd be happy to spend an hour on the phone with them and help them through it. You know, this is how we are, and it's uh, it makes it a fun place, a fun industry. I think corporate America can take a lesson <laughs> from the, the the book, yeah, from the chapter of the wine industry. Uh, and, and you know, I think I think we'd be I think we'd be in a whole lot better place economically if that was the case. I see. I um, agree with you. <laughs> you know, just yeah. my just my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, another another question actually for you: the uh, water shortage in oh. and the restrictions in California. Uh, you know, how is that in respect to irrigation techniques? How is that affecting your your business? Well, I think it's. Um uh, it's a more of a concern uh, in the Central Valley, where the big farmers are required to, you know, buy water from the main system, and um, in some cases, uh, you know, they're better off to actually um, sell the water than to to raise grapes. Uh, but it's it's not that bad up here in the North Coast and and parts of California, uh, you know, we, we have an average rainfall in, in Napa and Sonoma of about 35 inches per year. And right. most people don't realize that a grapevine uh, without irrigation can survive with 12 or 14 inches a year. So it, in the premium wine-growing areas, it's not quite as big a concern. But um, the drought conditions here are not as impactful as they would be, let's say, in the Midwest with corn or cattle or, you know, something like that in Texas or whatever. Um, right. Because we have the Pacific storms. So our drought is not like uh, a drought in West Texas where they, they can't grow cotton for two years. So we're, right, of we're, course. We're, we're, not, we're not so bad off. And uh, up here in the north end and the, no- the north coast, you know, we have a lot of uh, volcanic-type soils. The geology is such that there is a lot of underground water, even if the rainfall is half half normal. And so you prepare for that anyway. That's and what we, and we prepare, right. And, and you know what? Uh, and in a normal year, 
Uh, we don't uh, have any rain, unlike the rest of the country. We don't have any rain normally from May through uh, September or October. So mm-hmm. we, we anticipate that, and, and we do drip irrigation, which um, rather than flood irrigation like in other industries. So right. we conserve really well, and uh, most most vines um, in the summer, in the, in the heat of the summer, would only get about four gallons of water per plant per week. So uh, we're we're pretty conservative. Okay, here's my question for you. Okay. My question from the top of the show, uh, I'd like to pose it to my guests. Aerators, since the end product that you make uh, can be uh, enhanced or or not by an aerator. I mean, uh, I want to want you to weigh in on this and what you think of aerators as uh, something as a, either a taste enhancer right. or a gimmick. Okay. Um, you're talking about the aerator on the bottle for pouring. No, I'm talking. Yeah, the air. No, I'm talking about the aerators that you can buy now. Um, okay. I won't mention any particular companies. I'm, okay. <laughs> won't plug them. But you know, an area that you you know you pour into the aerator and then it goes, it goes into the glass. Right. Right. Well, I have a I have a pretty strong uh, feelings about that, and it's mm-hmm. pretty much related to the wine itself, the type of wine, and and how it's handled. Um, I think we the pendulum may have been swung a little bit too far uh in one direction in that um it's not doesn't it's not necessarily true that every red wine will improve with aeration um wines that have potentially can age well that um are closed up during their life whether they had minimal racking in the barrel during aging and whether they had minimal time in the bottle can oftentimes uh, open up with some aeration and mm-hmm. you can you can have a better appreciation of the floral elements and the bouquet and the aroma because the wine has uh, been aerated. Uh, the danger okay. is if you have a wine that's perhaps um, uh, thin, a red, we're talking about red wines now, but a of wine course. that's a little bit thin and uh, already been beat up during its life, uh, and then is aerated. Uh, and, and, and this could also be a really great wine that's just um, very, very old, and you know, it just really explodes in the glass right after pouring. But if it's been excessively aerated, it kind of it, it it loses that that bouquet in a short time. So, I think every um, every wine, you have to look at kind of on an individual basis. But I would say for our wines, upon release, um, we we benefit from decanting, and it's not, of course, as severe as, as aeration. Uh, it's more of a long-term effect than the decanter, but I like to uh, decant our, our new-released wines for an hour or two uh, because they do open up a little bit. So, right. Um, the only other the only other point I might make on that is that if the wine had a slight flaw aromatically, uh, you could blow it off a lot easier uh, with an aerator and then appreciate the wine even more. <laughs> so, so, so okay. So younger wines, you 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 might be in favor of potentially using them for, and not every young wine, um, but the you know the ones that have been. Cellared for a while and uh, you know, are going to have natural uh, potential 
once you open the, the, the cork and open the bottle. Um, not so much for. Correct. Yeah, because if okay. the wine is on the edge, you know, let, let's say it's a, a, a 49 Latour uh, <laughs> that you've just paid five grand for, and it's already showing a little brown around the edge. The last thing I would do is aerate that wine because you could destroy it in a matter of minutes. So. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I think again, that's why each almost have to look at each wine on a on a separate basis. Yeah, case by case basis. Case by case. Yeah, I just wanted to get your uh, your feeling on that. You know, and the other thing was I was just uh, mentioning in the, uh, the the show about the article about the scientific fact of wine on a you know moderate consumption day to day, um, whether it has the beneficial effect. Um, or whether it's people are just drinking it for the sake of drinking it and getting the uh, the pleasurable effect out of it. What is your what's your take on it? Well, here's bottom line is I drink several glasses of wine a day and I'm going to live to be about 125. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we hope you do. Uh, and so you continue I mean, to make wine all the way through that. Uh, you know I. Uh, uh, I'm a fan. I mean, I I believe in the French paradox to some extent, yeah. and uh, I'm a big fan of uh, drinking, especially red wine, on a regular basis because I really do think it helps. Uh, mm-hmm. Good for the for the health, for the diet, and uh, um, you know, believe me, I I need to do that because of all the rich foods that people present to me on a regular basis in the wine business. Of course. <laughs> that pairs so well with your wine. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I don't think I could, I could, I don't think I could eat Fargois without a good bottle of Tom Eddie Cab by my side. Oh, no, not at all. That's, that's great. So, you know, the thing I was going to say was, I, and to me, I, I agree. Look, there's, there's definite, there's been enough objective data and scientific fact over the course of, what, maybe 15, 20 years, more so that we've kind of been aware of it over the past, I'd say, maybe 10 or so. And uh, in regards to the French paradox, uh, I believe that, look, anything that's going to help one, you know, reduce your cholesterol, potentially, have the antioxidant effect, of course, right. and, um, and taste great. And, of course, the pleasurable effect after that is a nice little added bonus. Right. But for the most part, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, the only thing that I think the caveat here in this whole thing is, look, the U.S., you know, unfortunately, our eating habits aren't that fantastic. And so... You know, I am not quite sure if, in fact, we are offsetting that um, lack of control eating-wise or eating good well on a regular basis. But I do think that we're at least going to have fun <laughs> in, in the attempt <laughs> and, and enjoy what we're sipping and ingesting uh, in the attempt to, to do that, to counterbalance, balance, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, we don't. We never talk about in the same breath. We never talk about Coke and Pepsi, but I'm sure that those those beverages are much more detrimental to your health than a couple extra glasses of Cabernet. <laughs> I agree, a thousand percent, and amen to that. <laughs> well, um, I want to tell everybody, of course, about your website that people can go and check out uh, your wines: www.tomeddywine.com. Also, I was going to ask you about the the winery. Now, everything is complete at this point. Well, I wish it was. We we started. Um, we have the the state vineyard in, and it's down mm-hmm. along the highway. We live on a very the ranch is a very 
heavily forested property above Calistoga. It's the very northern end of Napa Valley. And right. we made a conscious decision when we found this beautiful ranch 10 years ago that we would not remove any more trees. And so we found the right spot for the estate vineyard. We planted that. We have the road in. We have all the permits. Uh, all the underground work is done. And we were very close to starting the cave. So uh, we're still a year or so away. It's been uh, it's been a, a slow slow move you know we're not we're a very small company and we do a lot of things when we can financially so uh we're moving slowly but we're we're getting there I, and i i tell my listeners if you get a chance two things one definitely go online and check out uh the pictures that you have up of uh the site it is it is just beautiful absolutely beautiful it looks like it's just a fantastic winery with everything that you've got planned for it um, and then also, the other thing is, of course, I guess we'll be looking at maybe harvest of next year that you'll be open to the public, I would take. Right. Well, that would be our goal. Um, we'll have our right. first first crop on the estate cab next year. And uh, we do, at this time, we, we, we have some uh, appointments for sales uh, on the property, but we live here, so we, you know, we... We value our privacy at some point, but uh, uh, we, we have a small business going, so it's it's a great great place to be. Absolutely, it's a wonderful place to be. Well, I urge everyone to go out there now, listening to the uh, luminary of the wine industry, Tom Eddy, and get out there and try his wines. Uh, they're available nationally, uh, so when you just go into your local retailer, or, of course, you can go to some of the nice restaurants. And if you want to know where those are, you can, again, go back to his website at www.tomeddywine.com. Or, of course, you can go to my website, and I'll get all that information updated for you at www.stewthewineguru.com so that you can know the places to go as well. I also highly recommend you try his wines. His cabs are outstanding. As I mentioned in last week's um, show, that it by far is one of my favorite uh, all-time favorite Cabernet Sauvignons, uh, his 2001. Is it still that? Is that still available? You can still get you, that. Uh, 01 library only, Stu. Uh, gotcha. Current release is the 03. So. 03. So uh, we try go out there and the library and everything. Yeah. Okay. And then of course there's the other the VSR and then all the other good uh, caps. So don't you don't have to leave it to one. There's Pinot Noirs. There's uh, Sauvignon Blanc. There is something. There's a varietal for everyone. Isn't that right, Tom? That's it. We, we aim to please. <laughs> <laughs> One-stop shopping. Well, I want to thank you, Tom, for everything, for coming on the show and uh, enlightening us on, on your wines, on the industry. Um, and I'll, I'm going to definitely have you on again. I have to have you on again because uh, there's a lot more I wanted to ask you. Okay, great. Um, and, of course, don't be a stranger. And um, everyone should go out and try his wines. And that's it. Tom, anything uh, you want to add? That's it. I just want to say you're a gentleman and a scholar, and oh, uh, I look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. You most definitely will. Thanks right. so much, Tom. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. And that was Tom Eddy, the famed Tom Eddy. Now on to a couple other things, updates here. Um, I wanted to and just kind of chime in on the uh, – that we were talking about the heart disease in America. 
I, I, you know, basically what I wanted to get out was, you know, scientific fact basically says it's been, you know, heart disease has not been abated due to scientific data proving wine's heart healthy attributes or the increase of, in consumption. But, I mean, I'm all for it. And I think it's great that you can potentially help bring your cholesterol down, as I mentioned before, and adding a glass of red wine a day into your diet. However, I don't see us, and I say us Americans, changing our eating habits to reap all the full benefit of it. So that's just my thoughts on it. The next update is from the Washington Post entitled, A Challenge to Reign in Spain by David McIntyre. Here's an excerpt. Much of the fun of wine in, is exploring selections from unfamiliar regions made with unfamiliar grapes. One region worth exploring is Bierzo in northwestern Spain, which produces stylish and elegant red wines from a grape called Mencia. Officially, Bierzo is a fairly new wine region, having been granted status as Denominación de Origen, or DO, in 1989. DO is roughly equivalent to Appellation d'Origine Controle in France, or, much less precise, precisely, American Viticulture Area status in the United States. The official recognition came after some adventurous winemakers found old vine plantings in an area unknown for producing innocuous plunk and began improving viticulture in winemaking practices to produce good quality wines. Bierzo's made a brief run at challenging Priorat in eastern Spain near Barcelona as the country's hot new wine region. But Priorat prevailed as the market favorite, perhaps because its main red grape, Grenache, also known as Grenache, is more familiar or because its inky, dense, heavy, and high alcohol wines hold more appeal for American wine writers, importers, and consumers. Bierzo's wine feature, moderate alcohol, using around 13 to 13.5%, and enough acidity to balance a wide variety of foods. They're not blockbusters, but they are food-friendly, and because they haven't caught on, they tend to be good values. Now, my thought on this. Not too long ago, I had the chance to try Bierzo at a restaurant in Malaga, Spain. It's a nice wine, and because of the lower alcohol and less acidity, it did pair well with the tapas I was eating at the time. Now, I agree, though, that since it's not widely produced as Priorat is, it'll be a while before it becomes a pop, you know, as popular here in the States. Remember, if you have any questions, I have answers, so call me at 1-646-381-4860, or, of course, email me at info at stewthewineguru.com. So, again, I talked about the Shiraz earlier, the Heartland Shiraz, as a great value-priced wine. I'm going to go on to my pick of the week here. Uh, it's a 2007 Moritzen Zinfandel Dry Creek Valley. Wine Spectator gives it 92 points. I agree. As I mentioned before, it's rich, huckleberry and smoky licorice aromas. It's ripe, layered, and balanced with wild berry, sage, and white pepper flavors. Drink now through 2014. The average price you'll find this is for about $16. Okay, on to my white pick. It's the 2007 Chateau Saint-Michel Riesling from the Columbia Valley. Indian Wells. It's bright and tangy. This is a slightly sweet but balanced with good acidity. Again, creamy pear and floral flavors. Drink now through 2011. Wine Spectator gave it 89 points. I give it a solid 91 points. And you should find it for about $18. Just wanted to recap on that for you. Okay, um, I want to give my thoughts on the aerator that I was talking with Tom Eddy about. 
I'm a true believer that the right aerator is great at bringing out the most potential a wine can have in at least in the least amount of time. Now I'm not plunging I'm not plugging any one particular aerator, but I'll say that the Venturi makes an excellent product. That was the one that I had the experience with. You can pour a full bottle of wine into it over a, a decanter and really be set for the night. I've always said that when using an aerator, what takes a decanter two to three hours to accomplish, an aerator can do in two to three seconds. Again, the right wine, a younger wine, uh, and the right aerator can accomplish this. I'm not saying all aerators, and I'm not saying all young wines, but the right combination. And, you know, you really can't beat that with a stick. My joke about it was I wish I invented them because I'd be on a beach in Costa Rica with my wife in a hammock right now, relaxing, and not a care in the world. They definitely enhance the taste of red wines, but you know the verdict is not out on white wines. And they do have them for them, but I'm not much of an advocate for a white wine aerator. Don't think they need it. I have some time for some questions. Once again, you can call me now at 1-646-381-4860. Again, email me at info at stewthewineguru.com. Let's see. Um, just taking a look to see what we have here in the uh, chat room. have some people that are chatting, see if anybody's any questions in there about that. We'll move on to any questions I have here coming in for email. Checking that right now. And I think we have an email question or two here. Mind you, the, even having uh, DSL and a fast, fast uh, hookup here, it still sometimes takes a little while for things to, to come up. So again, you can call me at one six four six three eight one four eight six zero, or you can go to the chat room and put in information questions following the show, or you can simply send me email at info at stewthewineguru.com, and I'd be happy to answer them. Mind you, this is the new time zone, uh, or excuse me, the new time slot of 7 p.m. on Thursdays. Uh, we changed it to that. I think the demographics are a little bit better. I think people uh, are around. They're looking for what they're going to do for the weekend, what wines they want for the weekend potentially, or a party they're going to go to and bring bring some wine. So my recommendations there are, are good for that. And again, Thursday, getting them on a Thursday versus getting it on a Saturday at 12, it's almost kind of past the point. You'd be looking at next weekend versus this weekend. So that's something that I, I try to do for you. Well, I can see at this point in time that we that's all we have for the show. I want to thank Tom Eddy, the luminary and legendary Tom Eddy of Tom Eddy Wines, for stopping by and discussing his wines with me. I want to thank the listeners listening in. Again, we're now international, so everyone in those countries, uh, Europe and in Australia, thank you. Uh, and I know that you'll be able to listen now in on the archived as well as live show. Uh, and to the Australians, good day. Um, and again, any questions you have for me, you can email me at info at Stu the Wine Guru. Any uh, questions about wine that you'd like to know about, you can also check out my website at www.stewthewineguru.com for 
all updates on the show, also any information about the uh, events going on. And um, in addition to that, you can look for my wine articles. I write for Yahoo. I write for now the South Beach Examiner. My new articles will be coming out, so you want to look for those as well. And for eHow, well, that was it. And for everyone listening, again, thank you again for your listening ship. And that's it for Why Talk today. As I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Have a great day. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.